Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. July 10 edition of the PFTPM podcast from an undisclosed location, which I disclosed inadvertently last night on Twitter under the influence of tequila that it is in Hilton Head, South Carolina. But still, it's a big place. So you can't find me here. You can try, but you'll fail, especially because we're in an area where you can't get in. Although for the people who are already in, that could be a problem. Anyway, I'm going to quit saying anything about exactly where I am. Not that anyone really cares. I just have fun acting like people do. People care very much about the future of Dalvin Cook and DeAndre Hopkins, the two biggest name free agents that are still out there. And here's where I think it stands for both of them. And there was a report to this effect as it relates to Hopkins from Mike Reese of ESPN.com. I think the same mindset applies to Dalvin Cook. They're both waiting for better than what they currently have. They're both waiting for something to happen to increase whatever the offers are that they've received so far. They feel no compulsion to take the offers that they have now, presumably because the offers aren't close to being enough financially to get them to pounce, and because no one is saying, you better take it now or it's going to be gone. That's when the dynamic changes. If one or more of the teams pursuing Hopkins or Cook would say, hey, look, the ship's sailing away. If you're ever going to do this, you got to do it now. That would put some greater urgency on the players. But I think everyone is content to wait for now because what's going on right now? The question is, what happens when we get to the eve of training camp as training camp opens? Could there be deals done just at the 12th hour or could Hopkins and or Cook wait until things occur, things transpire? Things change for a given team, either the guy that's penciled in as the starter or one of the top options at receiver or running back isn't getting it done or somebody gets hurt. And for Cook, that's more relevant than Hopkins because running backs get injured. It happens. It's unavoidable. One injury to a starter is all it takes to create a market for Cook that may not be there. Now, a market's there, but the teams that are interested are are presumably at a number lower than what Cook is willing to take. And he's waiting for the opportunity to arise for somebody to pump it up. But his agent's comments from late last week about my suggestion that Jets are gaining momentum did nothing to throw water on the idea that Cook is interested in the Jets and or the Jets are interested in him. And the Jets have been interested in him for a while because once you go all in with Aaron Rodgers, you got to have a running back that you feel good about and With Brees Hall, they feel good about him if he's healthy, but we still don't know how healthy he will be. And we we were spoiled by Adrian Peterson 11 years ago, coming off of the torn ACL. He suffered Christmas Eve 2011 and was good to go week one and was the MVP of the NFL in 2012. That's not the typical ACL recovery. And Hall's happened in week six-ish, week seven, right around there. Who knows if he's going to be ready? And are the Jets willing to take the chance that he won't be when they have loaded the cannon 
with Aaron Rodgers. For Hopkins, Patriots, Titans, Patriots, Titans. They both made offers. Mike Reese pointed out the Titans have been more aggressive in trying to land Hopkins. Hopkins waiting for someone else to shake things up, to move the number higher. That's what it is, I think, for both Hopkins and for Cook. Otherwise, they'd have deals by now. If there were deals that they couldn't and wouldn't refuse, they would have accepted them and they would have moved on. So we move on while we continue to keep an eye on the two most significant available free agents who may be available right up until training camp opens, if not after. A guy who will be an unrestricted free agent in March, unless he signs a new contract with the Vikings before then, they can't tag him. We've talked about that before. Is quarterback Kirk Cousins. I wrote something earlier today based upon his role in this quarterback series that debuts later this week on Netflix with Patrick Mahomes, Cousins, and Marcus Mariota as the focal point. And Mahomes is going to get all the headlines because he's Mahomes. Super Bowl winner, league MVP, first time since 1999 that the Super Bowl winner was also the league MVP. Kurt Warner was the one who had done that last. Mahomes is the guy, transcendent player, one of the greatest players in any sport right now in the world. But Cousins Cousins has a fascinating story, and I can't really tell how much of it we're going to see. There was a review done by a reporter, TV critic for the Minneapolis Star Tribune that said the producers shied away from controversy involving Cousins. Peyton Manning, in comments to the New York Post last week, said that, number one, Cousins shares meetings with a psychologist. Number two, they use, in lieu of narration by Manning, various talking heads saying various things about Kirk Cousins over the course of the season to set the stage for where things were. Now, look, they were 13 and 4, so there weren't as many negative moments as there have been in the past, and there wasn't as much reason to doubt him. But I, I vaguely recall that we... We spent a lot of time doubting them on PFT Live. I don't know if they're going to use any of our content for that. If they want good ratings, they probably shouldn't. But Sims and I would talk about it, and he would do the he loves him, he loves him not routine with me. He still does. And, you know, Cousins is such a rare example of a guy who is what he is. He's achieved what he's going to achieve. He's become what he's going to become, and there's a ceiling. Someone explained to me years ago that for every player that comes out of college, there's a ceiling between whatever he did in college and the Hall of Fame. And the pro career is an effort to find out where that ceiling is. How often do we see a guy reach a level and then just through force of will or greater experience or improvement, bust through it. John Elway did eventually with a pair of back-to-back championships to end his career after it was deemed all he was ever going to do was take the Broncos to the Super Bowl and lose the game. But Cousins is in this mode of great at 1 o'clock Eastern on Sundays in the regular season, primetime, mixed bag with more bad than good, big games, more bad than good. That's why his throw, literally throwing caution to the wind, literally, to Justin Jefferson on fourth and long against the Bills was so memorable because it was so out of character. And then what happened? End of the season. Everything's riding on. Playoff game against the Giants. He slipped back into the guy that we have come to know and love him slash love him not 
throwing the the ball multiple yards short of the sticks to TJ Hawkinson and no sense of urgency. It was just kind of a nonchalant average random second and seven play in the middle of October. I think that's what irked people. You didn't get the impression that he was treating that play as if it was the last play of the season, because it was. One of the criticisms that Chris Sims used to have for DeAndre, not DeAndre Hopkins, the guy who used to play with DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watson in Houston, was that Watson plays too often like it's the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, and he's trying too hard to extend plays, and he's trying to do too much. The flip side of that is with essentially fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, if you have any chance of making the Super Bowl, you better deliver in the fourth quarter of the playoff game where you're trailing and you're driving and it's fourth down. You better act like a guy. It better scream out from everything you're doing that this is a guy who appreciates the moment and is trying to rise to it. And and you just wonder whether part of the advice he's gotten from his psychologist is don't make those moments too big. Just treat them like any other play. And maybe that's what happened. Maybe he went too far toward the direction of don't freak out. Just treat it like any other moment. But still. Some people rise to the occasion when you get to those critical moments in the playoffs or in regular season games. Some consistently thrive on it. They love it. Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow becomes a different guy when the playoffs roll around. And I don't know that Cousins is capable of changing at this point. And and it'll be interesting to see how much of the noise he actually hears, how much of it he listens to. Because he could create a bubble for himself where he thinks everything's fine. Under his standard of success, it's fine. I'm making a ton of money. And I got a great family and we win plenty of games and I throw plenty of touchdown passes and I have plenty of good statistics. And yeah, you can't win them all. We're trying. We're trying our best, but you can't win them all. The other perspective is. Where is that moment we're all waiting for? Where is the greatness? Is it even there? Is it going to come out this year? And if it does, the Vikings are going to be in a pickle because Cousins will become an unrestricted free agent and a damn thing the Vikings can do about it. And I think that if the Vikings believed that Cousins was on the verge of some mid-late career breakthrough as he enters year 12 and he was going to reach some higher level, he'd be under contract beyond this year. Paul Allen and I have argued about this. I think the Vikings want to find their Fran Tarkenton, their long-term 10-plus year starter who puts them in contention for Super Bowls every year. And if they thought Cousins was that guy, Cousins would already be under contract beyond this season. They wouldn't have made the strategic decision to just ride it out, knowing that he can walk out the door. And if he has that special season that would make the Vikings say, "Okay, he's our guy, he may be gone before they can do anything to keep him in Minnesota. But but we'll see. It's look for as compelling as I think Kirk Cousins treatment under this quarterback series will be for 2022. Hopefully they they did a follow-up with Cousins because it could be even more intriguing and compelling and revealing for 2023. As we get closer to the end of the slow time on the 2023 off-season calendar, I, I've been trying to come up with lists that we can do that are different from the usual stuff that's out there. We did a quarterback room ranking that made it to six before I lost interest. I'm going to do a list of the top 10 head coaches, and here's what sparked me to do it. KJR Radio, I've been doing a Wednesday spot with them for years now. Dick Fain last week asked me about somebody else's 
list of the coaches, power rankings one to 32, Pete Carroll wasn't in the top 10. And they wanted to know what I thought about it. And my first thought was, well, anytime you look at a coach, a quarterback, running back, whoever, and say that's a top 10 or not a top 10, when you get through all of them, you got 20 in the top 10. So the challenge is make your top 10 list. Now, as I talked through it, I concluded that Carroll deserves a spot in the top 10. You'll find out if he gets one and where it is. But what we're going to do is count it from 10 all the way up to one instead of one to 10. Because if I start with one, there's a chance that I'll get distracted or lose interest or just decide to do something else and I won't finish it. If I start at 10, kind of hard to not see it through nine, eight, seven, six, five, all the way up to the top. And yes, I can count backward sometimes. So last night, last night, by the way, I couldn't have. <laughs> and I did rally again. It's twice this week between 4th of July and uh, Sunday night at the beach. Margaritas were involved. And yes, uh, I made it. So um, whether I make it tomorrow, we'll see, or the next day or the next day or the next day after that. But for today, here's number 10. And I'm not going to do a cop out and declare a trade. I'm just going to share with you some of the deliberations we had among the PFT writers to finish out the list because I know the 10. And once you start locking in the lower levels, it's kind of hard to make changes. At 10, here are the three that I ended up considering. And, and I'm not concerned about mentioning names of guys that didn't make the top 10. This is the time to do it instead of when it's all done. The three candidates that I considered most seriously at number 10, Mike McCarthy of the Cowboys, Doug Peterson of the Jaguars, and Matt LaFleur of the Packers. I've been a firm believer that LaFleur has been underrated and underappreciated for what he's done with the Packers. 13 and 3, 13 and 3, 13 and 4, as the liaison between Rodgers and the front office when it was all dysfunctional. And from the moment LaFleur arrived and had to tiptoe around the delicate genius, that's not easy to do. And that's going to be the challenge this year for Robert Sala. How do you coexist with Aaron Rodgers? You can't expect Rodgers to adapt to you. You've got to adapt to Rodgers. You've got to defer to Rodgers. You've got to coexist with Rodgers. Rodgers will not coexist with you. That's just the way it is. And it's not a criticism. It's a reality. If he doesn't like what you're doing, He's not going to bend to your will. His position is, I'm one of the great quarterbacks of all time, and I'm here to help you win, and we should do things the way I want. We saw that four years ago when LaFleur became the head coach of the Packers. And the question emerged about audibles. LaFleur, under his offense, will have the quarterback call two plays, and decide at the line of scrimmage which one to do. And that's the extent of the freedom that the quarterback has. Can't audible to anything else. Rodgers didn't like that. So what did he do? He he finagled a media event out of it. Made it a story. Mike Silver went and interviewed LaFleur and Rodgers. And it all kind of bubbled up through that. The audible thing is what they called it. And Rodgers spoke it into existence. He made it into a story. And what happened? What happened? He won. He got the freedom to call the audibles, and it worked. So LaFleur has never had a chance to really run things the way he wants to, with the quarterback deferring to him, not him deferring to the quarterback. Starting this year with Jordan Love, we're going to find out. So LaFleur was one of the three I considered because even though he hasn't made it to a Super Bowl, he squandered 
home field advantage, both as the one seed and as the team that ended up hosting the NFC Championship game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And remember, he he kind of got a little too conservative on fourth down, and there was some friction between him and Aaron Rodgers over that. But but LaFleur was in the conversation for 10. And at one point, I was going to make him 10, but you've got Andrew, uh, you've got Aaron Rodgers. You, you've got it. That, that's the thing. That that's I you know I, I look at it as he's overcome adversity by doing well with Aaron Rodgers, but he still has Aaron Rodgers, and others don't. So great regular season, postseason failure. It's hard to get in the top ten when there are other viable candidates who have won Super Bowls, and that leads me to McCarthy, former Packers head coach, won a Super Bowl in Green Bay. Now with the Cowboys, a couple of 12-win seasons back-to-back, 12-5, and 12-5. Playoff failure, though. Other than that Super Bowl win from now 13 years ago, McCarthy has underachieved in the postseason. And somebody asked last week, McCarthy and Peyton have similar records, Sean Peyton. Why do you view Peyton as the better coach? And I said it all comes down to that one play that ended the season 2021 49ers, Cowboys, the design, the execution, the planning, the allowance for or not, the umpire having to get through the quarterback in the center. That's something that a Sean Payton factors into the preparation. It's something McCarthy didn't. There's just something missing in the finer points, in the higher level 3D chess match that's keeping McCarthy down. So the other candidate, Doug Peterson, won a Super Bowl with the Eagles, with Nick Foles as his quarterback, for crying out loud. And I know with Nick Foles, it was kind of like a slumdog millionaire confluence of events where it just all fell the perfect way. It fell the perfect way. It fell the perfect way. But Peterson made it happen. He was the coach. They came up with creative plays, knew when to use them, Philly special, and other things that they designed and utilized to get the most out of what they had. Then he got fired Temporary dysfunction in Philly before they figured things out and started moving in the right direction again. And he lands in Jacksonville as the as the chaser to Urban Meyer. And what happened last year? Started slow, figured it out, won the division, won a playoff game, coming from way behind. They didn't give up. And they they gave the Chiefs not all they could handle, but they gave the Chiefs a better game than we thought. Now Mahomes got hurt. They didn't seize the opportunity to take the game over. Mahomes came back. There was still an opening there. They covered. I picked him to cover so that I was happy with that in the competition I do with Sims, but I decided to give the spot to Doug Peterson and Josh Alper helped persuade me to go with Peterson, but it it wasn't easy. It was Peterson. It was McCarthy. It was LaFleur. And at the end of the day, it's Peterson. So you now know that McCarthy and LaFleur don't land in any of the higher spots on the list. Tomorrow you'll find out who we put at number nine and then Assuming I get through the rest of this week, this could work out perfectly. If I manage to do a PFTPM podcast every day from the beach, we finish out 109876 this week, 54321 next week again, successfully counting backward, something I could not have done if we had turned the clock back by about 12 hours. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. 
we come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. One last thing before I check out your questions, and I haven't looked at the questions in advance, and there may be a question about this, but I just want to go over this briefly. This whole Pat Fitzgerald thing with Northwestern, it landed on our radar screen because... Fitzgerald's name has come up as a potential NFL head coach. And I I tend to just keep an eye on anything that suggests corruption or inappropriate behavior when it comes to college football because they still don't pay the players. So I get even more upset when I hear about hazing, when the players are there working for free, generating many, many dollars in revenue. And hazing has been part of football forever. Hazing has just been part of life forever. And it's not as bad as it used to be, I assume. But at the same time, I also wonder how much of it is just kept even more secret. Because my big picture takeaway, if they've got a hazing problem at Northwestern, where else do they have hazing problems? Can't be the only college program that allegedly has a system in place to discipline young players that make mistakes during practice. I mean, it it really does have some connective tissue to a few good men and code reds and phone bills and foot lockers. I mean, it really does. You have players who need to be trained. That's what they use in a few good men. He needed more training. And the training comes in the form of some sort of disciplinary thing, which for Northwestern, had a very real sexual component to it, which makes it even more troubling. So what happens is Northwestern hires an independent investigator. And we've learned, haven't we, over the years, that independent isn't truly independent. It's somebody who isn't currently working for you, but it's somebody that you're going to pay by the hour for their work, and they want to do more work in the future. They do a good job with this investigation, They'll get hired to do the next investigation, or they'll get hired to represent Northwestern in this context or that context. This is big business for major law firms that are jockeying to find clients who will run up a big invoice and pay it without thinking twice. Cost-insensitive clients. I used to work for one of the biggest law firms in the world, and I've told this story before. The managing partner came to visit the Pittsburgh office and said, we aspire to represent cost-insensitive clients. Huge bill. No one is pouring over it saying, why did you spend 30 minutes to do this? It should have only taken 15. Why did this take five hours? It only should have taken two. You just want somebody who's going to pay it. It's a big enough problem. They're going to do what they have to do. So my point is this. Whoever gets that assignment 
is going to figure out what the client really wants, whether it's expressly stated, whether it's implied, however it's communicated. If you want to make the client happy, you give the client what they want. And sometimes it is express and sometimes it isn't. But in this case, I think the client was perceived. I don't know this. This is just my opinion based on experience and circumstances. I'm not suggesting that anyone did anything wrong. I'm just saying this is how the sausage gets made. The client wants to keep Pat Fitzgerald. So we can't have that as the outcome. And we may have to do something, something symbolic, something largely meaningless to show that we did indeed take action. But we don't want to have to part ways with our head coach. We're happy with our head coach. So the initial punishment, two weeks unpaid suspension right now, who cares? Now, it's costing Pat Fitzgerald some money, $5.7 million per year is his salary on average. It's a couple hundred thousand dollars he's losing. But then comes the reaction, the reporting from the Daily Northwestern, the school newspaper, with a former player off the record, but providing a lot of details. And that former player ends up talking to the university's president. The university's president has said he's going to reopen and reconsider not, not to make it less than it was for Fitzgerald, but it's going to go up because he recognized there's a difference between what the coach actually knew and what the coach should have known. And in crafting the original penalties, the Northwestern president focused on what Pat, Pat Fitzgerald actually knew, not what he should have known. It's his program. And plain and simple, a responsible head coach, a leader of men, especially young men who are entrusted to that program, entrusted to that school by parents who presumably in most cases support very diligently the effort and the decision, and you've got different places you can go. You choose to go there. You choose to give your child to that school, and you assume that the football program is going to have processes in place that would allow, for example, the moment there's anything inappropriate, you can go straight to the head coach. And the players, the young players feel comfortable going straight to the head coach. And they don't think, well, I'm going to get in trouble with seniors if I go to the head coach. Because the head coach has made it clear to everyone that if anybody does anything they shouldn't do, you come to me, there'll be no reprisals, I'll ensure it. And you build that culture over time where you're encouraged to report anything that happens to you that is inappropriate in any way. And the people who would be inclined to quietly retaliate against the person who makes the report, they know that they're going to get their ass kicked out of the program if they do that. They know they're going to have to answer to the head coach. That's the attitude that needs to be there. So separate and apart from what he should have known, the fact that these things are happening is a failure of leadership, at least the kind of leadership that you would want to see in a college football program, where there is a true open door and there is a means of communication, an avenue for communicating any and all concerns. Remember one of the problems with the Washington commanders? There wasn't an effective human resources procedure in place. There weren't enough human resources personnel to allow people to make complaints. Stuff is happening that shouldn't be happening. How do you make complaints? Where do you go? And if there's a feeling that if you make a complaint, you're going to be retaliated against in some way, and it's only going to make your situ situation worse, you just don't complain. You just deal with it or you leave. And I think that's where Northwestern needs to 
really focus its analysis on what's proper here. There's what he knew, there's what he should have known, and there's the structure that should have existed to allow these issues to be nipped in the bud before they ever become a major third-party investigation and a swing and a miss as to a level of discipline before they realize due to PR considerations or just, just understanding later than they should have that there should have been a different outcome to the situation. All right. Let's see what questions we have here. Okay. I, I told myself I was going to try to keep this short today. It's probably been at least a half hour so far. Let's just answer a few of these. Some of these are good, but they would take more more time. I like this one. Nah, I don't like this one. All right. Sam Eichenlaub. What is the deadline for the NFL to select the training camp in-season hard knocks teams? Will the NFL just flex and force the Jets to do one as rumored? And it's more than rumored. You've got the CEO of the Green Bay Packers speaking of it as if it's a done deal. The Jets, as we reported two weeks ago, were bracing for the assignment. They still haven't told us who it's going to be, and we're less than a month from the debut. Friday the 20th, Thursday the 20th. That's the day that the owners are meeting to vote on the sale of the commanders to Josh Harris. There's a thought that the commanders will get the assignment for preseason hard knocks right after that's done. As we get closer and closer to the 20th, there's a belief that the league is waiting for, I haven't written this yet at PFT and I'm sitting here thinking, why the hell haven't I written this yet? Someone told me this last week. There's a thought that they're waiting until the 20th ownership Change is finalized, and boom, then the commanders get the preseason hard knocks assignment. And if they don't get the preseason hard knocks assignment, there's a chance they'll get the in-season hard knocks. They don't have that same formula for exempting teams for the in-season hard knocks. I've only done it twice now with the Colts and the Cardinals. But that may be what happens. Because it is odd that they haven't told us who it is. And it looks like at this point, maybe they are waiting the commanders because if it's going to be the jets just go ahead and say it's the jets why, why would you wait now now look it may have been they didn't want to announce it last week because last week was a weird holiday week and people were on vacation maybe this is the week they announce it maybe they announce it today or tomorrow that it's the jets this is the week to make a bigger impact with news last week it would have gotten lost so we'll see we'll see so that's where we are and look i would say the deadline would be when it's time to show up to camp and start filming because you've got a show you've got to produce a week or two later. All right. Sean Alvishar, what would have been the punishment for the gambling violations if the name wasn't Isaiah Rogers, but was, say, Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow? We've talked about this in the past. What would they do if a star player, a franchise quarterback, violated the gambling policy? Would we even know that it ever happened? That would be hell of a potential scandal for the NFL because you've got the sports books ratting out the, and they are, I, I'm sorry that it's not a very indelicate phrase, but that's what they do. They may be required to do it, but they are snitching on these players by providing the information to the NFL as to who has and hasn't violated the gambling policy. Would there be a way to keep that under the rug? 
And the sports books may want to do that because they want to have great players playing. We all want to have great players playing. So there is a certain degree of skepticism that the league would not throw the book at a great player. They'd find a way to brush it under the rug. I think that's harder to do because this is all very black and white and it's clear cut. When somebody violates a gambling policy, they violated it. There's no interpretation to be done. There's no discretion to be exercised. They either did or they didn't. You either bet on the NFL or you didn't. You either bet on other sports while you were at work or you didn't. It's that simple. All right. This is good. J.C. Carm, with the state of running backs changing, does the criteria for the Hall of Fame change as well? Are there any current running backs that you believe are for sure Hall of Famers? I think Derrick Henry is. Somebody asked me this recently on a radio spot that I did. The question of the game changing to the point where the running game is minimized, does that mean no running backs get in? I think it all comes down to the collective thoughts of the voters. I'm not one. I never will be. I don't aspire to be. They won't invite me to be. It's just, it's, it's never happening. But will the voters still want to put running backs in? Back in the days when the game was so heavily premised on the run, they still put quarterbacks and receivers in. The reality, though, is you've got career numbers now that may not be as good as some of the career numbers we've seen in the past. What do you do about that? How do you compare apples to apples? But they're determined to put running backs in from a given era. The best running backs of that era are going to get in. It all comes down to what the voters decide to do. All right. I'm going to cut this short, shorter than I ordinarily would. I'm surprised I even did it today. You got about 40 minutes. We'll do it again tomorrow. If I didn't get to your question today, ask it again tomorrow. We'll keep doing these. Sobriety permitting. It's vacation. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, this is it. This is the time to kind of refuel and recharge because the craziness is going to start soon enough. And I still hashtag no days off. We've gotten every day but one so far during the PFT Live hiatus. We are into week four. The only day I missed was the day I had my physical. I'm going to try my best to get the rest of the week. We'll unveil coaches 9876 as the week goes on, and we'll keep our eyes on everything happening within the National Football League and anything else we decide to talk about. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. We'll see you back here again tomorrow. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.